Welcome to the CL Brown Show. I'm your host, CL Brown, sports columnist with the Louisville Courier Journal. And welcome to the biggest week in college football history in the state of Kentucky. I don't think that's hyperbole to say because this is the first time ever that both the University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky have started the season with 5-0 and records. It's also the first time in a long time that both have been ranked in the college football polls, both the Associated Press and the Coaches Poll. It's really, it's only the third time in history that both are ranked in the same poll. Usually one team is good, the other team is down, or vice versa, and they're good at the same time, y'all. So these games on Saturday, Louisville plays host to Notre Dame, UK travels to play between the hedges against number one, Georgia. If they win these games, it's going to be crazy. And basketball starts next week, but I don't think many people, as many people are going to be just pivoting to talk about the red and white scrimmage at UofL or big blue madness at UK. If these teams come away with six and zero records, it's going to be hard for sure. It's going to be a big challenge and neither our favorite to win, but that's why they played the game. I asked Mount Fortuna, a former colleague of mine from ESPN.com and The Athletic, to join me to discuss. Fortuna is one of the best college football reporters in the business. That also is not hyperbole to say. He currently runs his own site called The Inside Zone with Matt Fortuna. If you're a college football fan, I encourage you to subscribe to his service. He's also the co-host of The Independent. Notre Dame podcast. But before we go and break down the games ahead, let's pause for CL Sounds Off. You ever had that friend who was trying to date someone out of their league and they were just too smitten to know when to quit? That's where the ACC is right now in its relationship with Notre Dame. The Irish joined the league in every sport except football and agreed in football to schedule five to six ACC teams a year. That kind of was like throwing crumbs to the league, but but we'll we'll get to that in a second. So the league was supposed to get out of this deal like, you know, the, the, the member schools get to schedule, have Notre Dame on the schedule, which for a season ticket package, I mean, that's that's like a golden ticket every year. You know, UofL has sold out Ellenham Stadium because the Irish are coming to town. Now, part of it is <laughs> UofL is 5-0 and playing the Irish. But still, if it was a different opponent, I, I, I'm not sure it would necessarily be a sellout. It, it would definitely be an exciting home game but Notre Dame just has you know there's a certain mystique that goes with the Irish and follows them on the road everywhere they go Uh, but besides that like what's the league really getting out of it I mean Notre Dame has reeled off 30 straight wins in the regular season against ACC opponents that broke the record set by Florida State back in the day and Florida State had to play every ACC team they didn't kind of get to i'm not saying notre dame is hiding but 
the way the schedule is, some years they're not necessarily playing the best teams in the league. They're just playing the five that were scheduled for that particular year. So Florida State had to play everybody and beat everybody for a very long time in the 90s before that record was snapped. But they did this because in the back of their mind, they were thinking, hey, maybe one day Notre Dame will want us. But Notre Dame ain't joining the ACC. And just think about it this way. While the league was flailing this summer with Florida State and Clemson and Carolina and and the likes, voicing their disdain about the current revenue situation and how they're falling farther behind the Big Ten and the SEC, the Irish could have changed everything and solidified the ACC just by joining in football as a full-time member. Instead, what they do as a part-time member with a full-time vote, Notre Dame was lobbying for the league to expand and accept Stanford and the likes. I mean, it's inexplicable that they get a, a full member vote in my mind, but ultimately I feel like this is a dysfunctional relationship and the ACC needs to wake up and learn as such. I mean, if anything, they eliminated the Irish as as a full-time member in these Olympic sports and this five or six games they play in football, they could use the money that they give. And, and to be clear, Notre Dame does not get a full share of the revenue distribution, but they get a partial share. And uh, for a league that has members complaining about money, that would be one way to save. But, you know, relationship is what it is. And the ACC probably won't learn how dysfunctional it is in time to save the league. I've said enough. Now allow me to welcome Matt Fortuna to the show. We are going to jump right in to the number one team in the land, the University of Georgia Bulldogs, and they face Kentucky, which is now ranked in the top 25 for the first time this season after a 5-0 and start. Georgia, to me... You know, obviously they're the favorites in the East. They're the favorites to to get back to the college playoff and possibly even three-peat. But so far this season, Matt, I I can't say that I've been impressed by their their full body of work uh, from, from what you've seen from Georgia. How do you kind of assess where they are right now in the season? Yes, yeah, CL, thanks for having me. And I'm with you. My eyebrows went up a little when you said the number one team in the land just because obviously they are, but it, they haven't looked like it, right? And I'm not surprised the voters kept them at number one. Again, these guys have won the last two national titles. They've kind of earned the, the benefit of the doubt in the public eye. But, you know, I thought last week especially, um, after seeing them struggle for a half against South Carolina and then wake up, I thought, okay, you know, this was a team that – doesn't have the toughest schedule in the world, was probably a little complacent, was probably sleepwalking a little bit through its first couple of games. Now they're going into a hostile environment at Jordan-Hare Stadium at Auburn. They're going to turn it on, and we're going to see what Georgia football is all about. And we really didn't get that. We saw Brock Bowers. We saw him looking like the best tight end in the country and one of the best players in the country. Absolute beast. (laughs) He's unbelievable. I mean, I I just remember covering that – the, the first national championship game against Alabama and seeing what he did there. And I, I, I had to look up repeatedly, wait, he's only a freshman. He's only a freshman. Mm-hmm. And then of course he wins the Mackey award last year and will probably win it again this year. I don't know where they'd be without him after last week, but, but this is a program that, you know, hasn't looked like itself 
through the first five games of the season. Again, they're unblemished. Um, the schedule is not the most challenging in the world. I think we can all, you know, admit that. Now, it's not entirely their fault, right? They, they did want to schedule Oklahoma this year, and the SEC made the move that since yeah. the Sooners are joining the SEC next year. But uh, you know, this is a team. If you're a guy who, who looks at Vegas Lions, they're on five against the spread, and maybe that's because the public is just overinflating these guys based on their brand name and based on what they have uh, they they did the last two years. But you look at a team like Kentucky, who, who's probably in the opposite corner, at least before last week. Uh, they were they were undefeated, but people weren't really sure about them. I think it was a pick em line going against the game against a Florida team that really hadn't shown much this year outside of that Tennessee game. And Kentucky absolutely took it to them. It was vintage Mark Stoops. It was a team that uh, looked like the toughest team on the field more often than not on Saturdays and a team that you know, for, for my money, has every right to think it can be maybe the second best in the East this year. Obviously, if they beat Georgia, they'll probably be the best in the East. I don't know if we're there just yet with the Wildcats, but it's just a great opportunity uh, on a primetime road stage for for the Wildcats uh, to, to to prove themselves. Even if, they, if they, they play a close game, I think a lot of people will know what Kentucky football is all about. Yeah, it's funny. I I was with the naysayers, well, not naysayers, but just not totally buying in to Kentucky when they were three and zero. And even if if you really wanted to nitpick in the in the win at Vanderbilt, you could because you know they got out to the fast start, which which they've done in some games and had a good half, but then they would flop in the second half, and that's I kind of felt like what they were starting to do against Vandy uh, until the pick six kind of changed the changed everything around for them in that game but this game against florida was the game i had kind of been waiting to see from them where where they really physically took it to the gators like you said and and were able to kind of get on track and at the beginning of the year i wasn't looking at this game against georgia as a winnable game like i you know when i make my kind of predictions going down the list of the schedule this is a win this is a loss that was a loss <laughs> nine out of nine times, right. but this is kind of like the 10th time, like where I'm maybe looking like, Hey, maybe Georgia is vulnerable. Maybe this is the time. This is the year that Kentucky can pick them off. So let, let's, let's play with that scenario for a second. Kentucky will beat Georgia. If what happens, Matt, they're going to have to protect the football, which they haven't done that great of a job doing so far this year. And they're going to have to force multiple turnovers, which they have done a good job doing this year. I mean, they forced nine on the year, but they've given it away seven times. They've lost five fumbles, which is pretty hard to do. Uh, and still go five and zero the way they have this year. It's funny when you look at Kentucky statistically, like they're, Good, but not great in pretty much every category, right? Even after what they did on the ground against Florida last week, 329 yards, averaging more than nine yards per carry, they're still only fifth in the SEC in rushing. So it's not like this is a dominant team that's just bulldozing people left and right, despite what they did last week against Florida. It's going to take a confluence of events, right? They're going to have to probably jump up early. You're probably going to have to see Georgia uh, play from behind. And and despite the close games they played in so far, I, I still don't know if you ever know what what you've got until you're in a do or die situation. Even last week against Auburn, that was still a tie game when they were driving late and going for uh, for the win, which they got. But uh, it's going to take a lot. I mean, I, I think in some ways, Georgia's close call against Auburn is the worst thing to happen in Kentucky, along with Kentucky dominating Florida the way they did, because I don't think there's any any chance that, that Kentucky's going to get overlooked by Georgia here. You know, Kirby Smart's using every motivational trick in the book to try to keep the edge on his team's shoulders. Um uh, as they look to three-peat and do what no team has done in 
almost 80 years. Uh, so I think it's going to take a lot, but but they're definitely going to have to win the turnover battle, and they're going to definitely have to protect the football, which is something they uh, have not done a good job of for the most part so far this year. Yeah, I, w- I wanted to also get your thoughts on on Devin Leary. I, I was thinking he was going to be, uh, at this point in the season, probably farther ahead than than I feel like he is. And, you know, I, I still don't know what what's stopping that total connection for him and, and really just kind of being what I saw him be at NC State when he was healthy and, and just this, this quarterback that could basically make all the throws and, you know, and really lead a team. And, and I'm not sure that I've seen that from him so far this year. What, what, what do you feel like is maybe, you know, the, the hold up from him really, really fulfilling his potential? Yes. Yeah. The season's kind of been, the you know his career in a nutshell right i mean two years ago he goes for 35 touchdowns and five picks at nc state and his head coach there dave doran spends much of the offseason saying we got the best quarterback in the country on our roster he made up you know i have a hat uh not a blue one a red one uh, that nc state <laughs> sent me uh said saying d leary delivers and they made a, a heisman website for him because they really got all in on this guy being the answer and he got hurt last year and he wasn't playing that well, even before he got hurt. And it's funny, even when you look at NC state now, which, you know, I'm sure you saw up close last week against Louisville, um, NC state just made a change at quarterback. Devin Leary left because they brought in Robert and I, who was a coordinator at Virginia two years ago. And he brought back Brendan Armstrong, who we had a lot of success with at Virginia two years ago. And everyone thought NC State's offense was going to take off the way Virginia's did two years ago. And it's been the complete opposite. MJ Morris is now supplanting Brendan Armstrong as a starter at NC State. And Devin Leary, while not in danger of losing his job, I don't think he, he's been he's been better than good, but but not great, right? I mean, 10 to 5 touchdown to interception ratio is nothing to write home about. 57% completion percentage is so-so. Um, you know, he's not on the top half of really any passer category within the SEC. But he's getting the job done. And when you have a defense as tenacious as Kentucky's is, and you can, you know, at least in situational spots like they have so far this season, run the football, I don't think you're asking all that much from your quarterback. So, uh, you know, Kentucky's offense is definitely, you know, light years ahead of where they were last year. Um, I'm still waiting, I think, like much of Big Blue Nation to see Devin Leary whether it's taking that next step or, or doing whatever it is to to remind everyone that, hey, you know, whether it sounded crazy to the outsiders or not, this was a guy who was on a lot of those Heisman radars about 18 months ago going into the 20, 2022 season. And they've got this guy on the roster, and they're going to need that kind of performance from him if they're going to go into number one's house and come away with the upset. Yeah, that having another, what was it, 9-20 uh, that he was <laughs> against Florida for 69 yards, which, which is, it, it's like, I mean, I couldn't fathom any scenario if you told me before the game right. that was going to happen that Kentucky would win the game. But lo and behold, Ray Davis, <laughs> Ray <laughs> Davis, folks. OK, well, let's uh, let's switch gears. Let's look uh, at the game. You are extremely familiar and an insider with with Notre Dame football and the Irish are coming in after another last possession game going down to the last possession. This time they're on the winning side. What I wanted to ask from your perspective with Notre Dame is at what point can they not like generate the emotion and generate the just the motivation to to play at the highest level after having such an emotional game against Ohio State and then coming back and being tested and pushed to the limit again 
at Duke and in front of a sellout crowd and Louisville has sold out as well for the game on Saturday night. And it's, it's, it's a big deal to Louisville, just like it was a big deal to Duke. And, you know, most of the teams that, that aren't brand names in football that Notre Dame comes to, it is, it is a big deal. And at what point is it just like, man, I don't know if we can, we can muster up the same kind of energy as we've been asked to do week after week. No, I'm with you, Sal. I mean, this is the third game in a row out of a four-game stretch in four weeks for Notre Dame that's starting at 7.30 Eastern time, and all four against ranked opponents, right? You have Ohio State, Duke last week, Louisville now ranked this week, and USC, their, their biggest rival, uh, next week at home. And, you know, there was a, a telling moment last Monday, um, the post-Ohio State press conference in the lead-up to, uh, excuse me, to Duke, where Marcus Freeman was asked a question, and on Mondays is when they announced the game times for the following weeks. It, it, the questioner uh, mentioned in passing, you know, with the Louisville game being a night game now, and yada yada yada. And Marcus Freeman cut him off, looked over to over his shoulder to his SID, and said, "Louisville's a night game because the news had just come in." And <laughs> you know, she nods her head, and he just the, the look on his face was just like, "God, here we go again." And again, <laughs> you know how coaches are—they're never thinking about anything other than the opponent right in front of them. But but I just think that was such a, a great snapshot into. Uh, the, the mentality and the mindset of this coaching staff and this program when you have to to muster up the energy week after week again against great opponents too, right? Like, I thought going into the Duke game last week, I thought, you know what? This is a game day game. It's a night game. This is the best thing to have in our day. They're not going to overlook Duke because you can't overlook someone on the stage. They're not going to have a hangover from Ohio State, which would be human nature if you were playing a lesser opponent at noon or, 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 or you know, in front of a sleepier crowd. I thought, you know what? They're going to be ready. And I don't know if they were. CL, they had 12 penalties, most of which were pre and post snap penalties. They did not yeah. look like a prepared football team. They absolutely looked like a team that was hung over and was going to let Ohio State beat them twice. So, uh, you know, if you, you look at the tape of both the Ohio State games, to the Duke games, you, you come away, at least I come away with the, 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 the takeaway that they looked better than Ohio State for 59 minutes and lost the game. They looked worse than Duke for 59 minutes. They won the game. <laughs> and there were a lot of plays on both sides where, where any one thing goes different. Um, we're talking about a different different result in either game. And I think, you know, the optimistic Notre Dame fan, despite the crushing loss to Ohio State, thought, you know what, when's the last time we could say we looked like we belonged on the same field as the Buckeyes. I think those same fans are thinking, shoot, when's the last time Duke could say they looked like they belonged on the same field as us? And look, Duke's a really good football team. Mike Elko's a hell of a coach. And look, they might win the ACC this year. We saw what they did to Clemson at home earlier this year. So um, it was a gutsy win because nothing was going their way. And I, I think, you know, they got a six-year quarterback in Sam Hartman who's seen some stuff. And he took them on a drive that officially is 95 yards with a penalty. I think it ended up being about 98 yards. Made a big run on fourth and 16 and and ended up leading them to the game winning touchdown drive in the final two minutes. I mean, that when you got a quarterback who's 24 years old and who is as good as Sam Hartman does, uh, it can make up for a lot of deficiencies elsewhere. Um, he'll hopefully have his top two receivers back this week. They were gone at Duke. I didn't think they would miss him as much as they did, but clearly they have. Mitchell Evans, the tight end, is their leader in, in receptions and receiving yards, and he missed a game this year. Um, I think we expected that with Michael Mayer last year. We didn't expect that with Mitchell Evans this year. Uh, and they're playing a Louisville team that, as you know, it's going to be a raucous environment. I mean, they play these guys... I was at that game in the 2019 opener on Labor Day night. It was Scott Satterfield's debut um, coming off the Bobby Petrino disaster of 2-10 and 10 the year before. Mm -hmm. And I was in the locker room for a story I was doing with Louisville afterward. And Louisville had jumped out. They scored touchdowns on their first two drives. They really played Notre Dame 
really, really strongly, uh, if not for a few turnovers late. But that was a Louisville team that was really galvanized, even in defeat. Uh, they were very fired up and thought, you know, we've got the makings of a great team here. Well, uh, I, I don't think, you know, the program Jeff Brom took over is not the program Scott Satterfield took over. Yeah, and we've sure. seen that through five weeks so far, right? Number two offense in the ACC, undefeated, ranked. Uh, this is a good football team, a football team that's absolutely capable of being their name, especially coming off two emotional games and, and right ahead of their biggest game of the season, the rivalry game against USC. So um, there, there's a lot, I think, to manage as a coaching staff from just a mental and kind of fatigue standpoint as they go into this week. Yeah, that that peak ahead can always kill teams. So uh, Sam Hartman obviously is familiar. Louisville is familiar with him as he is familiar with Louisville. And his last trip to Louisville was a disaster for Mm -hmm. Wake Forest last season. He ended up with three interceptions that game. Louisville wins going away. I think the final was like 48-21. How do you feel like Sam Hartman? One of the things from watching him play at Wake Forest uh, over the years I I was most curious about how Sam Hartman would handle the spotlight of Notre Dame football because he's he just always struck me as such a reserved kid and mm-hmm. kind of not wanting that. He didn't necessarily want to be in all the interviews and he, even when um uh Dave Clawson was touting him as as a quarterback who was worthy of Heisman consideration earlier, you know, when they started off well in the year. It, it it's like I was like how <laughs> he's never gonna be the guy out. No, front I remember like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how how do you feel like he's handled all that comes with being a football player and not just a football player, the quarterback at right. Notre Dame? He he's handled it well. I mean, look, he, maturity was never an issue for him. I think to your point, yeah, he was a little bit spotlight averse. I don't know if that was just discomfort or not wanting to take away. Uh, you know, the attention from his teammates because you know, I spoke to a lot of guys in that wake locker room when he was there and they loved him, especially that offensive line. And I, I had the same reaction you did every time Dave Clawson, who's one of the, one of the best media guys to deal with coaching wise, uh, would, would, would talk about why isn't he more for up for more awards or getting more Heisman love. I'd say you guys got to put him out there more. And I know he's an older guy and might not want to do it, but if you want this kind of spotlight, you got to seek it out a little bit, even if it's out of your comfort zone. And uh, he's, he's done a great job of, of understanding his role on this team while also being one of the guys, if that makes sense. It's not easy uh, to be a quarterback or really anyone to, to come into a locker room uh, of an established program and essentially assume the mantle of leadership and, He's done that. I think part of that is he's 24 years old right now. He's been around the block. I think we all thought he'd be, you know, in the NFL or at least out of college after last year. I know he went into last year with that mindset. And I don't know if it was the NFL feedback or, or whatever it was, you know, it essentially became time for him to leave Wake Forest and, and to maybe prove himself in a different kind of offense. And he's done a good job of that so far at Notre Dame. Obviously, the big win last week, he has not turned the ball over yet, which is huge. Um, you know, he, he's got a lot of NIL deals and, and you know, certainly has been shy about putting those out. I'm sure he's making uh, some nice coin off that. But he's, he's spreading the wealth, right? There have been multiple videos of him giving teammates Beats headphones before they they got on the plane to Ireland, giving them Under Armour uh, sneakers uh, with a deal he has there. Um, and I believe this is his fourth straight year being a captain at two different schools. So uh, he, he's really accepted the, the the leadership responsibility that comes with being the quarterback in Notre Dame. And not just the quarterback in Notre Dame, CL. I mean, this is a guy who, from the minute he committed to Notre Dame, we all said it, and he's lived up to it through five games so far. 
uh, he's the best quarterback they've had since Brady Quinn by far. And I think in some ways it's just more about, about you know, that. How, yeah. right. I mean, right. I mean, Ian book is the winningest guy in, in, in Notre Dame history. He went, he took them to two playoffs. He was a two-time captain, but he was a three-star recruit who only got the job because the guy in front of him, Brandon Wimbush couldn't hang on to the job. And Wimbush was a guy who was supposed to bring Notre Dame to great heights. So um, when you look at the total package of, of hype, of production, of, of leadership, of, of charisma, Sam Hartman is all of that. And I think he's turned into a great advertisement for Notre Dame and frankly, a great advertisement for NIL at Notre Dame because um, he's getting a lot more attention right now than he ever did at Wake, despite him having a phenomenal career at Wake Forest. He's number two on pretty much every single ACC career chart in, in passing and touchdowns. Um, as far as, you know, again, last year, Louisville, and he's had one of these every year, it seems, at least when he's at Wake. You know, I think he had six turnovers in that game last year. He had three fumbles. Uh, you know, that hasn't happened, and certainly the ACC defenses he's facing are waiting for that to happen. I just don't know if Notre Dame's offense is built to put him in position where he would even be able to give up the ball that much, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah. You know, he threw the ball 35 times in that Louisville game last year. Obviously, it didn't go well, but they're playing from behind a lot. Notre Dame, even though it, it got pretty, you know, pretty beat up the last two weeks on the offensive line against both Ohio State's and Duke's defense alliance. Uh, this is still a run first team. Um, it's a team that frankly does not have anywhere close to the receiver talent that Sam Hartman had in his later years at Wake Forest. Um, and, and it's a team that uh, I wouldn't say has gone out of its way to not rely on its legs, but you know, Sam Hartman's a guy who, who wants to prove himself at the next level and is trying to become a pro pocket passer. And we did not see him run the ball really until last week when he absolutely had to to get 17 yards on a fourth and 16 to keep that final drive that alive. That play was Duke just incredible. Yeah, it was I, great. Watching it on TV, you're just kind of like, is he going to step over the line? Is he going to, you know, he yeah. really didn't want to do it. Yeah. Uh, and he did a good job of kind of, you know, sending defend or excuse me, sending receivers in certain directions that I think probably took receivers eyes off him and gave him just enough space to, to get that run in. Uh, but, but he's been the real deal so far. I, I wish for his sake, he had one or two better pass catchers. So he could really showcase himself as a, as a downfield passing threat. Cause that just has not really presented itself for Notre Dame the last two weeks. Um, but, but you know, he's, he's lived up to the hype so far. No question about it. I also want to throw the question at you um, for Louisville to win this game. What do what will it take? What do they have? What has to go right for Louisville to win this game? I think winning the turnover battle, which again, Notre Dame's been very good about protecting the ball so far. Hartman has yet to throw an interception. I'm curious to see, and you could speak to this better than I can. You know, I covered enough Jeff Brown teams at Purdue to know that, you know, running the ball was like the 10th option on his play chart every single time. It was pass, 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 even in situations that call for runs. And yet they have such a good running back right now in Jawar Jordan uh, that I wonder, you know, can they be physical enough to to wear down Notre Dame's defense in the second half? Because this is a Notre Dame defense that has played far beyond preseason expectations so far. Can they be the more physical team? Uh, we've seen Louisville teams in the past that have been more athletic than Notre Dame, but can they be more physical? That's something that Duke was able to do last week that took all of us by surprise, especially as they wore down Notre Dame in the second half. If Jawar Jordan can, can get to that second level and start making people miss tackles uh, the, the way Duke was able to last week in the fourth quarter, uh, then I think Louisville has a chance. And again, I think Louisville's a fresher team. They played on Friday night. They got an extra day to prepare. They're at home. It's going to be a raucous environment. Notre Dame got home late again from another late night road game. Um, while this isn't Notre Dame's first rodeo in this stage, it does tend to have a cumulative effect on anyone, 
especially 18 to 22 year olds and a coaching staff that is relatively inexperienced uh, relative to, to most of the more, uh, you know, elite programs around the country. So uh, I, I think all the off field and external stuff works in Louisville's favor. The question is, do they have the horsepower on both sides of the ball to make Notre Dame pay? And look, this is Jack Plummer's third go around against Notre Dame with a third different team. He's 0 for 2 so far. Came very close both times at Purdue and at Cal. Uh, I wonder if the third time's a charm. He's played played pretty damn good so far. Yeah, yeah. I I I think the game, it is interesting to me, like NC State was able to stuff Louisville running the ball. I think to this point in the season, uh Jeff Brom has done a good job of kind of protecting Jack Plummer and not as you said with Stan Hartman like he he's not putting him in situations where he has to throw a ton um and that kind of changed uh, against NC State where they just couldn't run the ball and so it did end up with in Plummer's hand a lot more than than probably uh they had you know anticipated but he was able to come through when when it mattered you know he had a terrible interception in the end zone but you know he made he made the plays to get him in field goal range and and they won. But I'm just my question for this team is, especially on the offensive line for Louisville, are they going to be able to keep you know Howard Cross or or Riley Mills or, right. or one of those guys up front from Notre Dame from you know just basically disrupting their running game and and making them one dimensional. Um, but I I want to let you go on this question because what is it is it. Is it 30 straight games now in the regular season? Notre yeah. Dame has won over ACC teams. <laughs> yep. I mean, do we need to break up this relationship? Is it, <laughs> what, what is Notre Dame actually getting out of this? It, it's Yeah, no, well, they're getting a lot of victories. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny, Andrew Adelson, our old colleague at ESPN, I think posted the, the stat today that broke Florida State's record of 29 straight. Now, uh, the, the, the asterisk, if you want to call it that, with Notre Dame is they've lost to Clemson twice. And once in the playoff and once in the ACC title game in 2020 during that streak. But the regular season streak is still intact. And look, I mean, Notre Dame's built like a Big Ten team, right? They're a Midwestern football program that runs the ball, stops the run, plays good defense. Uh, I'm not saying no one in the ACC plays that way, but, but, you know, that's not the ACC style play. And you've seen Notre Dame be the more physical team in in pretty much all these wins. Even last year, that was an undefeated Clemson team that went into South Bend against a three loss Notre Dame team was heavily favored and Notre Dame just beat the tar out of them physically. And and just to, to see that happen uh, after the way both teams had played at that point, I think was really eye opening and it, it made you kind of rethink not just Clemson, but just the ACC football product in general, because if that was the best that the ACC had to offer, um, that wasn't all that good. And they went ahead and and beat Carolina in the title game. Well, that Carolina team also got uh, beat pretty badly at home last year against Notre Dame. So when Notre Dame is the more physical team, the bigger, tougher team, uh, they're usually going to win these games, barring any unforeseen turnovers or (laughs) barring putting 10 men on the field when you should have 11 on the last two plays of the game. Oh, well, well, I appreciate your time today, Matt. Folks, you can follow him on on Twitter or on X, formerly Mm -hmm. known as Twitter, at Matt underscore Fortuna. That's F-O-R-T-U-N-A. You can follow him uh, at The Independent, the Notre Dame podcast, and most definitely subscribe to Inside Zone with Matt Fortuna. It is a great site for information. Matt Matt does it as well as anybody in this business. And I appreciate your time, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Yale. Great to catch up with you, buddy. Now it's time for some pickup lines. 
Right now, I am 13 and 2 straight up, 10, 4, and 1. I had to adjust because I, I actually had a push and uh, I counted it as a loss because it feels like a loss, but that, that Notre Dame and Ohio State game was a push. So 10, 4, and 1 against the spread. Let's try and go for 3 and 0 this week, starting with Kentucky at Georgia. UGA is a 14 and a half point favorite. As you heard Matt Fortuna say, the Bulldogs are 0-5 against the spread this year. I do like Georgia to win the game, but I think I'll take the Cats to cover that 14 and a half. I just I think Kentucky's gonna go in with a lot of confidence. Their defense is stout. I mean, it's it's not like Georgia has this this high-powered offense that's just going to overwhelm the Cats. Um, but I'm just not sure Kentucky can make enough plays to win the game. But I definitely think they can push UGA and keep it within that two-touchdown number. Moving on to Louisville against Notre Dame. Fighting Irish are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I feel like uh, I'm taking Notre Dame to win outright, but I feel like I should take Louisville to cover that. Notre Dame has obviously played in tight games the last two weeks that have gone down to basically the final plays, the final series for sure. But I'm going to take Notre Dame to cover. I think the Irish up front, this is this is how they win games like this when even maybe they're not even giving their best effort always because of the emotional toll that we talked about earlier in the show of always having to take someone's best punch. But I just think Notre Dame is going to be too strong up front, both offensively and defensively, and they'll wear down L when it comes down to the fourth quarter. They'll be able to take over the game. Notre Dame straight up in that. And lastly, the Red River rivalry. We got Texas as a six and a half point favorite over Oklahoma. I like the dog in this, y'all. <laughs> Oklahoma's got a high powered offense. I feel like they've been kind of flying under the radar this year, just for whatever reason. I think uh, part of it is people kind of wrote off Brent Venables as head coach last year when they were just kind of mediocre. And thought this was going to be, uh, I don't know, a, a rebuilding project that was going to take too long. But OU is really doing it. And I think their defense is, is coming around too. And uh, so I, I like them to stun Texas in this, to win it outright. So give me that six and a half points. And check back with me next week to see if I regret it. <laughs> So that'll do it for another edition of the CL Brown show. I appreciate you tuning in and come on back and check me out next week. In the meantime, make it easy for yourself. Click on that subscribe button. Please leave a positive review because we need more love in this world. I'll check you out next week. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>